Hello, everybody, and welcome to Policy Matters Georgia. This is Eric Allen, and I am here with my fabulous co-host, Nicole Horn. Hi, everybody. Big, big day coming up, Eric. That's right. It is crossover day at the Georgia legislature on Monday, March 6th. So we are um, putting this podcast out on Friday the 3rd, and there is no session today. So we kind of have a lay of the land of what needs to to make it between 10 a.m. when the House and Senate convene on Monday and midnight. Um, and, you know, I want to start with what is crossover day? I know some people listening, um, you know, may not really understand what that means, but it is the last day of the session for a bill to pass in either chamber so that it may cross over and pass the other chamber in time before signing die. And um, it's halfway through, right? It, it's really it's a- not. People people think it's a halfway point. Okay. I thought it uh, was. No, it's not. No, 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 no. It's it's not the halfway point. It's actually day 28. Um, okay. So 28, day 28 is crossover day. You know, we have only uh, 40 days in the session. So so technically things will cross over on day 28 this year and you'll only have 12 legislative days. That's it for it to pass the other chamber. Uh, now, there there's some exceptions to that. Uh, resolutions don't have to cross over if they're unless they're like a uh, joint study committee, House and Senate, and both chambers have to approve. But if it's just a Senate resolution or a House resolution, they can pass. Also, local legislation doesn't uh, fall under the same crossover because you can have things put on the local consent calendar. So if it's uh, any legislation that just relates to a certain county or, or city, those can still move. Um, but any general bill has to be crossed over into the other chamber before midnight on Monday, March 6th. So it is a very, very big day. So when you're talking about local legislation isn't typically impacted by this, we've mm-hmm. got an update on the Buckhead City movement. Would would that have not been impacted by crossover day? Um it it was a it was put on the general calendar, not the local consent calendar, so it okay. would be impacted by. So it's but I mean if if you know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but it's already been voted on. So yeah, you know, that's yeah. Well, we'll yeah. get to that. So, but I was just, I was curious. So, so you're put, it's the local stuff is put on a different calendar. There's a different calendar for the local stuff. And yep. so, so you'll have, so it's, it's kind of interesting. So the house, the Senate, the local consent calendar, all local bills that have gone through the local process are put onto one joint calendar and the calendar is voted on as a whole. Okay. Um, the rules calendar, the, the general calendar, general rules calendar is everything is voted on individually. So it's a, you know, a little bit more of a churn and burn. And I think in the Senate, especially, you're going to see a bottleneck. I mean, la- yesterday they stayed in session till after nine o'clock and we're only able to get 15 bills passed. So if you think about, you know, they've got about 70 bills on the calendar for, for Monday, but they've got to pick 15, 20 that they want to get through because it's just not enough time to get to all of them. So it's going to be a a very interesting day. And as we talk about some of these bills, we just have to keep that in mind is the thing to watch is how these are going to be called to the floor um, for a vote before time runs out. And who picks those bills? The, the presiding officer of each chamber. So the speaker will call the bills and decide what order to call the bills. 
and the lieutenant governor will call the bills, decide That's which ones I, to call for which, the calendar. So. Which is an interesting for us because we have a wackadoo lieutenant governor. Um, it's why we can expect to get some wackadoo votes on Monday. I think as we go through some of these bills, people are going to wonder why we're we picking on the Senate. But I can tell you, uh, you know, it, it used to be the House was the place where the crazy originated. But now it is the Senate and the Senate, you know, all of the craziness is originating uh, in the Senate. So we're going to have to keep our eyes open on Monday to, to really watch what happens. It's going to be a long day and uh, we'll be back Tuesday to digest and really talk about what made it, what didn't. But, you know, Nicole, uh, let's jump right into some things that we've already talked about on the show. We've been looking at, I know we talked about um, Senate Bill 88, Senate Bill 140. Yeah. Uh, I know we're watching those close. What's your, let's start with Senate Bill 88. Let's start with a upbeat note. That's right. <laughs> tell, tell the listeners what it is, and then let's just kind of talk about where it is in the process. So Senate Bill 88 was Georgia's version of Don't Say Gay, where um, the requirement was that if any child or student, um, you know, because some of these are teenagers, uh, want to have a discussion around gender, that the the school counselor, the teacher, the camp counselor, the coach would need permission from both parents. It was a ridiculous bill. It was, um, and Jeff Graham was telling us from Georgia Equality, it was actually a more expansive and worse bill than what Florida had passed. So that was SB 88. Um, it was heard in the Senate committee. And here's what's interesting. More than 35 people signed up to oppose Senate Bill 88, and two people signed up in support of it. We had the School Board Association, the Georgia Teacher of the Year, a principal from an elementary school, all ready to testify against it. But the chair of the committee skipped down the list to call up the Southern Baptist Mission Board. And here's what's crazy. Their rep stood up and said that they had concerns about unintended consequences yep. and were pulling their support from the bill, at which point one of the Democrats on the committee then moved that the bill be tabled. It was seconded and had a unanimous vote from the committee to table SB 88. So this is effectively dead for the session. For, for now. And uh, there's no committee hearing. It was in uh, Education and Youth Committee. Uh, there's no scheduled committee meeting for Monday. However, they can always call a meeting at any point on Monday. Um, but as we talked about earlier, I don't think they want to adjourn and go into committees to try to get more bills to the floor when they've got so many already backlogged. So I, I think you're right, Nicole. I think this is effectively dead. And I think the other thing that people had concerns about was the overreach on pr uh, private schools and yeah. private camps. That, that was a huge issue because, uh, you know, some people – have their kids in, in private schools to protect them from the reach of the state on egregious bills. And it, everyone acknowledged that this probably would not have any standing with uh, private schools. Uh, so for a lot of reasons, the most important being it was just a horrible bill. It is um, a horrible uh, bill. Just come on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um, and in our list of, 
horrible bills. What is continuing is Senate Bill 140. And Senate Bill 140 initially was a, was actually it's still a horrible bill, but a more narrow bill to restrict access to surgical procedures related to gender-affirming care for transgender minors. So it said that if you are under 18, we don't care if your parents approve uh, a surgical procedure. Uh, we don't care if your doctor is working within the healthcare regulations and recommendations. It's not your choice anymore. Um, we're, we're disallowing this. Um, but in committee, an amendment was put on to expand that to also include um, hormone replacement therapy. Again, just related to gender uh, dys dysmorphia. Um, and that passed out of committee. So it's it's going to, I would be shocked if that is not voted on in the Senate, if that's not one of the 15 to 20 bills that you talked about. Oh, you're muted, Eric. I'm watching you try and speak. <laughs> it, it's a, it is a, it is a horrible, horrible um, bill, but I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be the ones that they're going to prioritize. Uh, it'll be a, a very fierce floor debate um, and floor fight. Um, but I, I think it's one of the ones that the the lieutenant governor and the majority caucus really wants to get through uh, the Senate. This is this is a great example of the hypocrisy of the Republican Party, the hypocrisy of um, of kind of. The government should not be in your business. And this is an example where you are taking a decision that parents are making with their children and their doctors. There is very clear guidance on addressing gender dysmorphia and how to deal with it. And we are completely taking that away from the capability of the ability of parents doctors and children to make that decision. And what drives me nuts about this is you are also impacting and increasing suicide rates for children going through this. Yep. Suicide rates, the Harvard study said they're 44% higher for children who um, are, are, are questioning their gender and want to go through this exploration. And the number of uh, adults five years later who regret making changes is tiny. It's like 2%. Um, and we are actually, the, I, there is a give and take in this. And what you are getting is protecting people's lives. And now that's exactly what you're giving up. And it's what makes me bananas is it's okay for parents to make decisions for children with their diabetes care, with their cancer care. But when it comes to a child's mental health, we are taking away options for them. Well, I, I'm old enough to remember um... – you know, the arguments of, of my body, my choice when I don't want to take a vaccine or I don't want to wear a mask or, yeah. you know, I, I, I know best me and my doctor should be able to decide how I'm going to fight this, 
this pandemic. And it's, uh, it, as you said, the word hypocrite is the, the best word, um, whether it be with abortion rights, which we could talk about all day long, you know, with this, but you know, we, we are, I, I don't want what, what was said to be understated is that the safe spaces for these kids is dwindling. Yeah. And yeah. it is causing the suicide and not even completed suicide, but just harm to self rates. Yep. Skyrocket. And, you know, it, at some point, you've got to let people make their own decisions and not let your ideology force someone else's kid to harm themselves. Uh, so th this is also um, a horrible bill, but the, the hits keep coming. We're going to try to get through quite a few of these. So um, I, I think next we can kind of move to. Um, let's, let's tackle some of the election bills. We've got once again, let's in the Senate, do it. Yeah. We've got <laughs> Senate bill two, two, one and two, 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 um, which are, um, sitting out there. Uh, I, you know, I can tell you two, two, two has already passed, uh, the Senate and it's basically a, you know, during the 2020 election, even in 2022, there were, uh, private organizations, outside groups who were writing grants to, uh, boards of elections to help them facilitate their uh, election. And I would argue that, but for some of those grant funds coming into some of our larger counties, um, they would have really struggled to be able to conduct fair and free uh, elections. However, that kind of got under the, you know, ruffled the feathers of a couple of Republican legislature legislators who are now uh, wanting to make citizens fully share that burden that they've now put on boards of elections. So let's just be honest with SB 202. There were so many new regulations put on boards of elections that cost them so much time and money. Mm -hmm. They are now adding a component that says, now that we're putting those burdens on you, we're not going to allow you to apply for grants to help offset some of the costs of the burdens that we've put, put on you. So SB 222, it's just another attack uh, on voting rights and and on voters uh, in particular. And I think we're going to see um, more of that in the next couple of years. But this is kind of the first shot across the bow. But if if, if so, do you think if this passes the House that it could end up in legal trouble, that there could be a lawsuit over this, especially if money is speech? And well, part of that speech, and part of that speech is wanting to give money to ensure that uh, that there's nothing illegal that you're giving money to. You're supporting a process, not a person. Couldn't there be legis uh, not legislation, a lawsuit that specifically tackles this? I, I would think so because I mean you're, you're basically saying that. A city or county can't apply for a grant. They apply for grants all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and this is just going in very narrow and saying you can apply for grants, but none of that money can be used for elections. And I also think even outside of a lawsuit, there's going to be a very thin gray area of county still being able to apply for grants for certain things and that money finding its way possibly into supporting what it needs to, uh, which is it's general infrastructure and an election seems, you know, is a part of the responsibility of the county. So it's, but it's, it's so obvious that it is the bigger counties that this impacts, which also happen to be democratic leaning. 
Yeah. Like, well, I mean, it, they're not trying to be shy about it. It it costs a lot of money to put on uh, an election, and this is a direct shot at um at, at doing that. And I think you know, even looking at SB two two one, which is uh, a direct let's, shot once again. Let's uh, talk uh, about that one because that that to me makes me bananas. So and what, I what, and what, I what upsets you about it? Getting rid of drop boxes. Yeah, like that. I mean, you are harming people who are disabled, who are homebound. You are harming uh, some of our most elderly, frail citizens' ability to vote. Mm-hmm. You, you are. You're absolutely right. And and one of the things that we have to be very mindful of and, and strategic in how we talk about it. This is voter suppression. They keep saying that, you know, the things SB 202, 222, and now SB 221, um, that these are not voter suppression bills. They absolutely are voter suppression bills. Yeah. Anything that you do that reduces access to the ballot box, we should be expanding access to the, to the opportunity to vote, expanding access to the franchise. Um, whenever you do things that directly go at that and limit uh, a person's ability to vote, to me, that's voter suppression, and we've got to call it out for what it is. Once again, two very, very uh, bad bills. And I'll tell you what, what makes it so uh, egregious as it doesn't impact the smaller counties the way it does the larger counties just because of sheer volume. Yeah, again, um, again. It, it, is, it is a very um, uneven attack on uh, voting and a voter's rights and access to the ballot box in Georgia. So where do you think those bills are going to end up? You know, I, I don't I don't see it being stopped. I, I think 222 already passed the Senate. I think it'll go through the House pretty quick, and I don't see any reason why the governor wouldn't sign it. So I think that's going to be one, as you stated earlier, it's going to be in 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 litigation. Uh, 221, it, it really depends on, you know, I think it's going to be one of the bills that they want to get through the floor in the Senate on Monday. Um, and we have to watch and be vigilant, but I know there's a lot of organizations that are watching it and we've got a lot of good Democrats on the, on the floor of the Senate that are going to be fighting it. And we'll just have to see where it goes. Um, but I do, cause the house is so much closer. I do wonder if it could be killed at the house. I, I, I don't think election bills. I, I think if, if, if you had bills like SB 88 that we talked about earlier, get out of the house, get, I mean, out of the Senate, get across the hall to the house. I think bills like that have a better chance of not moving forward. Um, I, I think that the majority party is just so hell bent on attacking elections because they now know the only way they can win is to attack elections. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I don't see them being cautious uh, like they are with other bills. I mean, there's a a Senate resolution to create a study committee on runoff elections in Georgia. I mean, that they're being very cautious with that. Let's study it. Let's slow down and really. So they want to be thoughtful on that one, but on you know on other matters, not so thoughtful. Yeah. So I, I think it just depends on um, on what on what they're you know what they want to accomplish. But um, so elections. Trans rights, 
all this stuff under attack. We also got some education stuff under attack. We're just under attack at all fronts. Of course, which is, uh, and you and I have talked about Senate Bill 233, which is the voucher bill that uh, gives $6,000. And that did pass out of committee. And this is not... This is not new, y'all. We've been slowly but surely giving more money to our private schools from our public school funds for years. And sometimes the bill, I mean, this bill comes up year over year and sometimes it passes and sometimes it uh, dies, like last year it died. But Mm -hmm. this bill would uh, increase tax credits for donors to private school scholarships from 120 million to 200 million a year. And I just want to reiterate to everyone um, that there's no tracking where these uh, tax credits go, where this money goes. It just, it disappears into the ether. Um, so we don't know if it's making an impact or if it's, it's being framed as we're giving money to kids who can't afford, whose kids, whose parents can't afford private school, and this will help, which is baloney because private school is not covered by $6,000. No, and I, I think I said that last time in the show that, um, you know, I, I don't know many people. I know when I made the decision to put my daughter in a, in a private school, I, it wasn't a $6,000 gap. It wasn't a $6,000 decision. No. Uh, and most of the people that want or may choose to send their kids to private school they're just not $6,000 away from making that choice. It's nope. just not the reality. Nope. Um, so it's a, uh, it, it's, it, it's to me an unnecessary bill to assist a few when we need to be thinking about all the other kids that are going to be left in or, or not left in, but attending our public schools Yeah. that need additional resources. And we should be diverting that energy and resources to them. Um, and not to to other other areas. Well, that plays into the overall that's been happening for the last twenty years, the movement away from supporting public schools, the movement into leaning into charter schools. That that did happen under the Clinton administration. I want to mm-hmm. point out. So it's not necessarily a Republican push, but it's interesting to me that even the person who started charter schools, the um, the professor who started charter schools has come out and has strong concerns about it. And as a parent, I get you want to put your kid where they are going to thrive, whether that's public schools, private schools, or charter schools, you want to do what's best for them. But as a citizen, I feel I keep coming back to, we should be stealing great ideas from private schools. We should be stealing great ideas from our charter schools. We should be expanding and blowing up how we do education in our public schools. We should be offering tutoring in our public schools and more wraparound services. Like, I just feel like I'm always on a soapbox yelling about this. And when you're taking, you know, almost a million dollars out of the system, yep. you're undermining those efforts. Absolutely. And and for people who think a million dollars is not a lot of money, that is a lot of money to our public school system. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of money and, and, and would do, do a lot of good. Um, 
but speaking of good, before we hit into the um, the city of Buckhead and some of the local stuff, I it's something that I thought we should talk about that some good things. Let's just you know talk about the good things, good things, Eric, because you were mentioning um, this before we jumped on. Yeah, so there's uh, there's two bills that I think were were the highlight of um, of yesterday. One was SB fifty five. Um, which was put up uh, by Elena Parent and uh, basically uh, allows persons or children under the age of 18 to uh, be able to put up their lemonade stand or anything else and sell um, without having a permit. Um, so if they've got a business that's under $5,000, they can sell um their their product, their lemonade, their popsicles, their whatever, uh, and be able to do it. So God bless the kids. I think it's awesome um, that That's they're going to be able to do this. I would imagine that also um, saves babysitters. <laughs> well, it, it, it does. In, anything that they want to do, uh, they can do without, um, you know, without, without, a permit. Uh, without having a permit. And you know, I, yeah, babysitting. I mean, it's called the Georgia Lemonade Stand Act, which I think is an awesome name. Um, but it, but it's a good bill. And, you know, when you think about I, I take a different tact. I, I didn't hear the argument from anyone. But, you know, when you think about kids having an option to do something in an entrepreneurial way that keeps them yes. engaged, keeps them busy, yes. it also keeps them out of trouble. Yeah. So this is a this is a good thing. Um, and I think it's going to allow uh, for some some kids to. To go out and not be harassed by uh, their local uh, municipal government to tell them they got to have a business license to uh, to do it. The other thing, which I think is abysmal that we are just now doing this, and this was even a thing, but a very bipartisan moment uh, on the floor yesterday with HB 404, um, which is basically a slumlord uh, bill, but the language literally states um, – that this will require um, properties, rental properties to be, and I'm using my air quotes fit for human habitation. Um, so I, I think that's a good, a good win for, for renters. Um, and in this, this housing market, this market, a lot of renters, um, the fact that we're, we're codifying that a, a rental home must be fit for human habitation is Shocking well, that we're just now doing it, but it's a, it's a bright spot. And I think it's good for, it's good for Georgia. And, and I think the AJC deserves some credit for that bill. The Atlanta it's, journal it's constitution did several investigative pieces into the uh, slumlord habitations that we've got throughout Georgia. And um, yeah, this was Absolutely, positively needed, and and gosh, Eric, I just I think about these things, and I'm like, this is the kind of work that we should be doing. This is the kind of work that strengthens our communities, makes it a better, makes our state a better place to raise children. Why the hell aren't we seeing more bills like this? And, and we should be, but on the flip side, what we're seeing are bills that make our communities weaker, whether it be our schools, yeah. our businesses, um, our cities. And there's no better example of that than the infamous Senate bill 114, which would be a de-annexation uh, <laughs> of the city of Buckhead or a community right now, the community of Buckhead from the city of Atlanta. 
Yeah. Uh, and that was a, a very, very interesting floor debate uh, yesterday that ended with a uh, a no vote and with uh, how many was it? Ten? Ten nine, Republicans. Ten? ten Republicans. And you know that Kemp was making calls. Yeah. You know that Kemp was making calls because he did not want to have to wade into that crap. Yeah, I, I think it was um, a couple of things I took away from the floor debate was, you know, uh, the some of the Republicans that voted no and one or two that took to the well, uh, John Albers being one, really talked about the relationship between the governor and Mayor Dickens um, and that there was responsiveness. And we have to give that time. We have to to give that time. Um, another thing that was interesting is not one member that represents Fulton County or <laughs> I know what um, you're going to say Ford, nor was there one co-sponsor that lived in that yes. community of yes. <laughs> uh, so this this was the uh, epitome of political gifts where the lieutenant governor campaigned on the fact that he would bring this to a vote so it was already yes. a political process at that point in order to win and win that nomination um, he had to promise that, you know, hey, if city of Buckhead, I want to raise a lot of money from you guys. So when I become lieutenant governor, I'm going to get this to the floor. He didn't promise him it would cross the hurdle. He just promised him it'll get to a floor and vote. Yeah. And, and it did. Um, and and ultimately um, failed. The The other thing, Nicole, that I thought was very interesting and may have played into some of the no votes by Republicans. And if you are a, a strong Republican in the proposed city of Buckhead. I I hope you heard it loud and clear, but Republicans went to the well to explain that if the city of Buckhead were to be incorporated, that Stacey Abrams won the city of Buckhead overwhelmingly. And you think you're breaking away from Atlanta, but you're all but guaranteed to have a democratic mayor and a Democrat city council. I think that little fact gave people some pause because I honestly don't think anyone thinks about that. They they never thought about that. They just want to break away. But the reality is, as the city's constructed, it would be an overwhelming Democratic city. Um, so you That's could almost hysterical. Up, you, you, you could almost end up with policies even more to your unliking than you have in Atlanta, where you have probably more moderation with the city council of Atlanta than you possibly could have with the city of Buckhead. So it, it was it's a bad bill. I don't think it was well thought out. They've had years to come up with solutions around the schools. Um, you know, well, and the debt, like the there was the there debt, was the there were there were issues with the bonds because the mm -hmm. bonds were based on the community of Buckhead being part of the city of Atlanta, and it would have a big impact on bond ratings. The the business community was, was overwhelmingly against it. And I, I tell you, as you know, someone who sat in the legislature on your desk every morning, when you're about to take up these big bills, you'll have sheets of paper there, you know, different organizations will put pamphlets on your desk to convince you to vote yes or no on certain bills. I don't think I have ever seen as much paper on a desk for a bill as I did the city of Buckhead and majority overwhelming majority of it was 
respected organizations saying, please do not do this from the business community to the municipal associations, the county associations. It was an overwhelming do not do this. And I have no doubt, and we talked about this offline, Nicole, but I have no doubt that the organizers for the city of Buckhead will regroup. Yeah. And oh, this yeah. Is not the last time we'll see this. I think Mm-mm. we're going to continue to see this, even though it does not make um, fiscal sense. It doesn't make political sense. Um, it doesn't make sense within our education system uh, with the city of Atlanta, with APS, and then with Fulton County schools. I mean, for example, you would, you would have elementary kids who right now go to an elementary school, maybe 10 minute bus ride or carpool ride away from their home. Now not being able to go to that school because it's an APS school. Yeah. They would have to go to a Fulton County school 30 minutes away in unincorporated um, or outside of uh, incorporated city of Atlanta. So anyway, really, really big mess. But you had on your list of things you wanted to talk about, speaking of really big mess, uh, ridiculous things happening to Cobb County. Uh, So talk to us about that, Eric Allen, the chair of the Cobb County Democrats. That's right. I'm going (laughs) to take some personal privilege to talk about the craziness going on in Cobb. We've got a a former state representative and now state senator um, who is just hell-bent on drawing out a commissioner in Cobb County. So they, they, he sponsored legislation last year that went around our delegation process to draw out uh, the commissioner for the second commission district here in Cobb County. Uh, and if you've been following in October, who was a Democrat, sorry, who, who was a Democrat uh, and one of the first Democrats elected to represent East Cobb in, in quite some time. Um, and, you know, she, she won that seat and was part of the East Cobb purge, as I call it, with, you know, they drew out Lucy McBath. They drew out our, um, school board member who was representing East Cobb and they tried to draw out Commissioner Richardson out of East Cobb. And, uh, so the commission in extraordinary measure, uh, to counter the extraordinary measure that, that, uh, Senator Setzler created last year, um, voted to invoke home rule authority to redraw their lines. So, um, What's been done this year is Ed, Ed, Ed doesn't like that. So he's drafted uh, Senate Bill 124, which will, as he says, restate, reclarify uh, the Constitution that counties don't have this authority. So that's the bill. He's trying to interpret the Constitution through a bill, uh, which I think is extremely dangerous. Yeah. Um, that, that is a job for the courts, not a job for a legislator to interpret the Constitution. And there are current lawsuits against the county for doing using their home rule authority. So this should play itself out in the courts, but um, Senator Setzler wants to force the issue with uh, horrible legislation that I contend you can't clarify the constitution through a bill. You can do enabling legislation that is within that framework, but we'll see how that goes. But the second piece to that is he has introduced Senate bill two, three, six, which is the exact same, bill that redistrict commissioner Richardson out of her seat last year. So that if he can pass 124 and make it illegal for counties to do this, then he's coming in behind it with a new redistricting bill to say, now you got to, you know, you're, you're drawn out. We've got this new district. And, you know, I contend, and I, I, I hope this comes out more and more in the debate, but 
Ed had a chance to do this in 2014 when he redrew the lines. And this was a bill. It was House Bill 1028, 2014, where he he redrew the district to protect the Republican commissioner in District 2 because they knew that seat was about to to be lost. And if he thought that this I-75 corridor district was important then, why didn't he draft a bill to do that? Well, he didn't because that would have drawn out that Republican as well. So when mm-hmm. it was convenient to protect the incumbent, he drafted a bill to protect the incumbent. When it wasn't, now he's trying to have um, a commissioner removed. So Cobb County is is you know under siege with with these Ed Setzler bills, and I'm hopeful that uh, these are two of the bills that the clock just runs out on. I'm, I'm pretty sure they want their attack on elections, their attack on trans kids, their attacks on um, vouchers and schools and there, you know, all these things are probably more important than one Senator who just has it out to basically disenfranchise voters and have a commissioner leave in the middle of her term because he feels like, you know, probably shouldn't have won in 2020. Uh, So this is uh, basically a, a stop the steal moment. We have to stop the steal because He's basically trying to steal the election and correct what he thinks was an, an, the wrong outcome in the 2020 election. So those are two bills that we're watching uh, here closely, uh, close to home in Cobb County. But another one before we wrap up and we're running a little bit long today, but it's good because we got a lot to talk about. We have a lot. Um, just two others on my table uh, on my on my plate that I want to talk about Nicole was um the SB92 which was the prosecutor attorney's oversight commission yes um, i think this is a horrible uh bill it's not needed um if a if a prosecutor or a district attorney is not doing their job um then there are ways to remedy that and we saw that with the Amart Arbery case this this bill didn't come up when we talked about Amart Arbery they didn't talk about we need to have you know, prosecutorial oversight over what happened in South Georgia. That wasn't the conversation. I honestly believe this is about Fonnie Willis and the prosecution of Donald Trump, and they want to have some some input on that and create an authority that could squash any of that where there's a prosecutor doing something that the legislature doesn't like. So uh, again, and, and I, well, before you ask the question, and, and this committee, the way it's constituted, all of the appointees to this uh, prosecuting attorneys oversight committee will be made by members or or officials who are currently in the majority party. There will not be one appointment made by anyone in the minority party. Uh, so this is the 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 Fox Garden the Hen House 101. And again I come back I can't help but point out once again Republicans wanting to keep government as small as possible growing the government. It's, Growing big, the government. This this is big big government, an unnecessary bureaucracy uh, at its core. And uh, I, and I can't being pumped into it. I this seems like something that will go through though, Eric, as because people are still all about Absolutely. protecting well, Donald and, Trump. And, and the way they're framed and protecting Burt Jones. Well, this, this is also about the, the, um, you know, in any prosecutor that doesn't do what they like. So think about all of the uh, prosecutors who came out and said, look, my office is overwhelmed with, with other crime things. 
I'm not going to prosecute low level you know, drug offenses. Yep. They, they want to be able to go after those people and say, you should be removed or you will be disciplined or, or uh, recalled because you're not prosecuting what we want you to prosecute. And they're making it about crime. Uh, when it's really not about crime, the only crime it's about is an insurrection in 2020. Well, although there's a similar bill happening in Texas, mm-hmm. and that one is to being framed. So I don't want to completely dismay that it's just about crime because this is also district attorneys saying I'm not going to go after um, abortion. Right. So I I think it is broader than that, but mm-hmm. it it's certainly – it has a big impact. It does. And, and, and to, the, to them, that's crime. If you're saying you're not going to go after yeah, abortion, no, no, no. abortion is crime. That's yes. why, that's why I'm saying, I don't, I think it's, I think it's broader than just Fannie Willis, but she's certainly, she's certainly in on all of that. That's an, a further it, incentive. It's, it, it's her. It's every district attorney that signed that letter that said they would not prosecute abortions. It's the DAs that signed the letter saying they would not prosecute um, marijuana. Marijuana. Yeah. So it's a it, it's it's a lot of that. And then the last on my list is sports betting failed again. Um and I firmly believe if they would put together a clean bill, um you know, I spent the last few years on economic development and tourism committee, if they would put together a clean bill that did not have horse racing in it and would be strictly online sports betting, I think we could get that passed in Georgia. Tennessee has had it for years. Other states are making billions of dollars in revenue um, off of online sports betting. And I think that we need to wake up and get it, get it passed here in Georgia, but we've got to solve the questions about how much of that revenue is going to go to hope. And we've got to remove the horse betting piece because there are a lot of animal lovers in, in Georgia and they are just not going to the horse racing component is going to be a poison pill no matter what. Because you and I were talking about this, and this was something I was not aware of. Because when you said, oh, it was the horses before we got online, I was like, why the horses? And you said that there's um, – that the slow horses <laughs> – I, I asked a question in committee. Um, it was either last year or two years ago. It was a simple question. Just raised my hand to the, the person that was pushing it. And I said, what happens to the slow horses? And I think that's the question people struggle with with horse, race, horse racing is that – Where's the other piece of this legislation that protects the animals? Yeah. Um, and, and until we have clarity on the, the animal rights side, um, I don't think that's a, a starter. Also, I, I just don't, I, I don't, dis, it's hard for me to distinguish horse racing from um, casinos. And if you've gotten, if, if you're not in favor of the casinos, you're not in favor of, um, brick and mortar, a racetrack is the same. Oh, I would, it's, it's I would, no, I would absolutely agree with that. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, so I think we've just got a lot to solve, but I think the first step is to get the online sports betting. And I think that could happen if there's a clean bill. Um, and, and hopefully I, I don't know for sure, but I believe there may be a bill in the house that this could be attached to or the language, but, um, I don't think it's dead yet, but I think for for now on the Senate side, uh, that bill bill did fail. So, wow, that was a fast forty five minutes of what <laughs> the heck is going on in Georgia. Um, and I think Monday summary, is going to be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be a long day. Um, I encourage all of our listeners to 
go to legis, L-E-G-I-S dot G-A dot gov. You can watch both the House and Senate feed side by side all day from 10 until whenever they, whenever they adjourn. Write down the bills that you want to follow. You know, follow everybody you can think of on Twitter. They're going to be tweeting out what's coming to the floor, what's not. And honestly, um, I find it very helpful to follow the House and the Senate Twitter feed. Mm. Uh, the Georgia Senate Press uh, Office is has one Twitter feed. And then Georgia House Hub is the House Communications Twitter feed. And they basically tweet out every bill that's called to the floor and what the results of the vote were. So if you can't watch it, at least just follow those Twitter feeds throughout the day and you'll know uh, what came up. But I think our, our biggest hope, Nicole, is that literally the clock runs out. That's It's so much bad stuff in the pipeline. You can only get to so much of it. Hopefully the clock runs out. And on Tuesday morning, we'll know exactly what made it, what didn't, and be ready to talk about it. That sounds great, Eric. Well, thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. And we will see you again in a few days after we see what happens on Monday. All right. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon.